This is Waitley. Good morning. Meg Ladding is announcing her retirement from international cricket. Dominant player for a long period of time, the best in the world. Captain through a period of phenomenal success for Australia. The titles are immense. There are peak moments leading the team to that T20 victory at the MCG in front of 85,000 fans. The pinnacle of it. She's at the MCG later this morning to announce her retirement. Peter Lawler has just broken that story. He's going to join me in a few moments' time. It's Oaks Day, a Thursday with a different kind of rhythm in Melbourne. There was that unforgettable day in 2004 when 110,677 of us were at Flemington on a work day. And it was as if the whole class had wagged school on the same day. And when we all saw each other at the chatty bowl playing the pennies, we knew the gig was up. There'll be about 45,000 patrons continuing the Melbourne Cup Carnival reverie today. It, it does strike me as a day, as an event in that is crying out for reinvention. A twilight meeting after at least most of a day's work is done. But for the moment, tradition holds sway with the first at 12.40 and an excellent Oaks at 5.10 this afternoon. James Cummings and James McDonald combine with the favourite, Zardozzi, who gained admirers in defeat in the wakeful. Gay has the two front runners, Amazonian Lass and Tropical Squall. They'll put the race on. After the Richmond boys ran second in the cup, the Hawthorne lads are going to take their turn with served cold in the Oaks. The Sydney Philly Athelflade caught the eye on Saturday. Well, Damien Oliver will attempt to add an eighth Oaks to the mantle on his farewell lap aboard Basilina. You might recall that for the past three years, Hamish McLaughlin has tipped us the trifecta and even the first four in the Oaks, so he's the carryover champion. He'll be back to risk it all as the morning unfolds. So a little bit of racing to flavour our day. Glenn Maxwell remains the toast of Australia. It felt like the nation had Maxie's double century on continuous repeat yesterday. And given that it happened sort of between 2 and 3.30 in the morning, there was a progressive awakening as people caught up with the events on Fox Cricket. The chance to fully appreciate and process an unforgettable innings. It's captured better in the Daily Telegraph than in his hometown. Super Maxi is on the back page. Images of his 10 sixes and his triumphal broad smile pose at the ends. This is the best of sport. When you marvel at greatness in real time and then try to place it with what you've seen before. Great innings have danced through our heads over the past 24 hours. Near incomprehensible individual feats. It's the water cooler talk. It's the debate on any worksite over the drip tray. We're pondering Viv Richards, Kapil Dev, Glenn Maxwell, Dean Jones with Glenn Maxwell from all those years ago in a tide test. Mike Atherton concludes his musing, sometimes you can't account for genius. It's a perfect line. What will endure? So the fraught moments early when Maxwell might have been out, what, two, three, four times before he even got to 40, that'll add to the long-term legend. The stand and deliver hitting enforced by crippling cramp. Maxwell fronted up like that batter on the end of the lever of that test match game that we all had as kids. Very upright, stiff, still. But if you push the bat through with the right flourish, you could give it one hell of a whack. And then there's the sheer courage to continue as his body failed. I suspect that is what will continue to enhance as the years go by. If you're trying to quantify greatness in this sort of thing, you need 
the size of the score and the records broken. So those are your, that's your foundation point. And then there are style points for spectacular hitting. And this has got it in all sorts of different ways, including unorthodoxy, which I think helps. The circumstances of the match and the magnitude of the occasion. So this is at a World Cup with a semi-final spot at the line. So that's high. And you need drama. And this has got lashings of drama. So on all of those fronts, this maxes out. It was a strange one because I was cramping in my, one of my toes, which was sort of going up the front of my shin. And then as I sort of set off to try and get down the other end, I cramped in my that calf as well. So I was cramping both sides of my lower leg. And as I went, oh, no, I'm cramping, I cramped in my left hamstring at the same time. So I was like, I've got both legs, and then I had a back spasm when I hit the ground. <laughs> so I was just like full body, just in pain. But um, once I sort of calmed my breathing down and had the physio out there and sort of talked me through it, um, what it was going to be like, and had one person pushing my foot, one person lifting my leg. It was a strange... I've never been in a position where I've had full body cramps like that, and I sort of felt it coming on um, a few hours before that, and was just hoping that I could sort of get through. And uh, once we once we stayed at um, the same end for a couple of overs, I felt like I was starting to get a little bit of movement back, but um, it actually probably made the whole job a little bit more simple. I wasn't sort of um, overthinking the situation. I just knew if I got a ball that I could hit, I'd try and hit it. It's pretty cool. I, I, as I said, it's it's so fresh at the moment. Um, yeah, I'm a bit numb to it. I've, um, it was great. It was great fun. It just felt like it was me and Patty just having fun out there, and um, I'll probably reflect a little bit more over the next few days, and hopefully recover and get some movement back in my hamstrings and calves. But um, yeah, it's a bit raw at the moment. Glenn Maxwell, after giving us so much yesterday that we still ponder today. Ping through your thoughts throughout the morning. Did you used to go to the Oaks? Do you still go? What what? What innovations have you had to make? What excuses have you had to offer to be able to get there today? 40 Wings Temper text 0433 98 11 16. Temper, a mattress like no other. And you can call throughout the morning 1300 736 736. A cricket chat for Henley, new seven-star house designs with dropped prices. So more on Glenn Maxwell as we go. But the fresh news is provided by Pete Lawler with Meg Lanning announcing her international retirement. Pete, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Jared? Sorry, my phone's ringing. Yes, it would be. Drop a story yeah, like well, that, it would be ringing. Ringing all morning about this. Um, a, a big news. Meg Lanning, huge figure in Australian women's cricket, perhaps our most successful female cricketer. Seven World Cups, Jared. She's been captain since she was two thousand, since two thousand and fourteen, when she was a young girl, and she's just run out of petrol. And I think we've. Sus- Suspected this for some time. Meg's had a couple of extended breaks from the game, and my reading on it is she just she's looked ahead. There's a tour of India coming up. There's a Test match. There's uh, ODIs and T20s. She doesn't have it in her to go. So um, that's the end of a fantastic career. And I think she'll be making uh, she'll be confirming that in a public announcement in the next half hour or so or hour. Ten thirty. It's come down as at the MCG. I think so. She'd taken the two periods of personal leave, hadn't she? So post the Commonwealth Games, that that was sort of the hint that maybe, and having been captain since she was 21, that that maybe this was Mm. getting to the end. Yeah, it is. It is. And I don't don't think she's played for Australia since the World Cup, since they won the World Cup, Jared. She has been playing in the WBBL. 
it's interesting that that she's going on in domestic cricket and not international cricket, so she's not tired of that. But it kind of Meg Lanning's never been a sort of spotlight person, has she? She's been the most unassuming of leaders. I mean, an incredibly reliable cricketer in a sort of hundred odd. Um, T20 matches, 100 ODI matches, um, scored some fantastic centuries for her country. But you've always got the feeling she, she's not very fond of the limelight. She's never very fond of the centre stage. I think she'd be happy just to go back and play her cricket off-Broadway, um, not have that sort of intensity on her. That's a reflection of her character. A little bit of a sort of that Alan Border, Steve Waugh style of leadership about Meg. There's nothing flashy, is there? No, no, that's absolutely true. So her story arc, and I reckon James in Morty Alec hits on this. We've known her since she was a school kid. My favourite Megsy story, James writes, is she played for the first 11 at Carey College at the age of 14. She is a superstar. So we followed that. A teenager playing for Australia rapidly becomes the world's best captain at 21. And then there's this phenomenal period of success, unrivaled really, um, as Australia forges ahead with the professionalism of the game and it all happens on her watch and they they win T20 World Cups, they win the Commonwealth Games gold medal, they win the 50 over World Cup. So she does what is the grand slam of women's cricket. Jared, um, an incredibly successful period in Australian women's cricket. Under Meg Lanning, they had an 80% success rate. They won 80% of their matches. That's a phenomenal figure, absolutely phenomenal figure. And, and, and you know, they were uh, the thing I've liked about the Australian women's team is they, they set the standard and others have risen to that standard, but they're still not good enough to knock them off just yet. You know, they are, uh, and, and Lanning has embodied that. She's just such a pro. She just gets on with it, gets on with it. Um, a beautiful batter to watch. I've always enjoyed watching her bat. And you always felt calm when Meg Lanning was out at the wicket for Australia. You know, she just looked like she was in control of everything that she did. And she's in control of her life now, and that's so uh, she's stepping down. The three icons really of the period, aren't they? And hmm. and as it moved, they were joined by others. But the three icons were Meg Lanning as captain, Elisa Healy, and Elise Perry. Um, hmm. so they they personified their team and really the sport, and they forged its popularity. This is this team won our affection, our admiration, and then they won their place for a long period of time. They were the best Australian team, any code, either gender. Yeah, yeah. You probably wouldn't class them as a pioneering team. I think that's probably happened before them. But but they have set a standard. They've set an agenda. And and aside like that, you, you know yourself growing up, you know, perhaps watching that Steve Waugh era when, when, when the Australians were so successful, Ricky Ponting, uh, they captured the imagination of young people. And they were the perfect perfect team for this moment in women's cricket because you know this 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 stage of evolution in women's cricket. Um, this this side that Meg Lanning that Meg Lanning led. You know they were they were great role models. And and as you say, you know probably Perry and Healy brought a little bit more show business than Meg did to the team. But uh, they all complemented each other. They're all great cricketers. Um, I suppose there's now a bit of attention on how Heels's finger is going ahead of India and whether she'll be right to, because uh, they might have to look somewhere else for a captain. Do you think so? For whatever Healy has left in her career, do you? She she has been captain in any way, um, 
But once it's the permanent role, do you think it will be handed to her? I would assume so. I yeah. hadn't even considered that they do anything else, Jared. Do, had you? No, no. I think that's no. so natural and it gives them that that bridging period. I don't know how much longer Healy means to continue on, but say it's three years, that's sort of the perfect amount of time now then to choose the captain from the next generation. That's right. And the next generation staying to come through as yeah. we speak, isn't it? Yep. Mm. So Meg Lanning retiring from international cricket. We'll share that with you as the morning unfold. Pete broke that story, and so that's the layers to it. Are our eyes still spinning? Are we still marvelling that the – so Maxwell, miracle in Mumbai, best you'll ever see. I watched the whole innings last night after the kids went to bed. Wow, just wow. It was a pleasure to watch it back. That's Joel. It's sort of been ticking through. There was that progressive awakening. Those who are fortunate enough to see it live and then all the way through yesterday as it was run as almost wallpaper on Fox Cricket, there was the chance to tap in and just understand what everybody was talking about. It was like the whole of Australia was in a bit of a daze yesterday. I think, well, particularly those of us who stayed up and watched it, were pinching ourselves. Did we really see that? Yeah. I mean, it just snuck up on you. You were talking about, you know, where does it sit in the sort of pantheon of great innings, and I, I don't feel sort of equipped to judge that. But the innings that I go to instantly is Dean Jones, isn't it? Yeah. It's Madras. It's the cramping. It's the, you know, you've never seen a bloke in more pain and discomfort at the crease. They both score double hundreds, but I, I will argue that this one's a hell of a more influential and important um, innings. This has been an incredible World Cup, Jared, and this this innings is one of the cherries on it. But um, I reckon there's, there's a lot of debate at the start of this World Cup and a lot of talk that, you know, this might be the end of it. We're at the end of the road of one day internationals. Throw them out. We're not going to play them anymore, and we will play a lot fewer of them. But we've seen the game evolve in front of our eyes in this World Cup. I think we have seen T20 skills. Um, they've been introducing themselves slowly into the game, but they have announced themselves, and particularly in the batting of a guy like Maxwell. He comes in, he's already made that 40-ball century, coming in, what, the 39th over? Yeah. I mean, that's just ridiculous. But now, well, is he batting yeah, an eighth-wicket partnership of whatever it was, a couple of hundred... All those runs that far down. I mean, nobody, nobody. only openers have made double centuries. You cannot make a double century from where Glenn Maxwell was, nor can you make one in the style of it. And just the fact that it's it's the sort of crowning achievement of Glenn yep. Maxwell's career. It, we've always known he's this eccentric genius, but too often it's just been eccentric, hasn't it? You know, <laughs> yes. I mean, I even remember Steve Smith at some stage saying, you know, maybe just a bit less funky, mate, you know. And he's been on the nose a number of times because he rose his own boat. He's a very, he's an unusual cat, Glenn. You know, he, he's high maintenance. Um, but to pull this off and to pull it off in those circumstances, absolutely outstanding. I'm so happy for him. And I, and I wrote in the paper today, it was only in March this year that um, we were having a beer um, just at the end of the um, test series in India. And he showed me the damage that had been done to his leg. And he told a room full of people the story of that incident that wasn't that much that long ago. There was Stephen King horror show what happened to him, and his recovery from that has been extraordinary. So combine that with the heat and uh, what an effort. But don't you reckon, Jed, um, there's something about batters in those uh, or sports people in those extreme situations where they're injured. They just have clear 
focus. I mean, his focus was so clear. He wasn't even moving his feet, for God's sake. Yep. Um, you know, uh, he could think about nothing else but, you know, I'm just going to have a crack here. And how often do we see that? How often we see someone, you know, on one leg or with one arm um, in great pain, doing things that they shouldn't normally do, playing the best innings of their life. I'm, I'm sure the sports, sports psychologists are across this, but there's got to be a reason for it. Do you think... So it felt like this is the innings he was always destined to play and you had the chaotic cartoon strip life that he's led within cricket that would provide this moment. It's it's not at the end, but it is late in the day. And then mm. I like that eccentric genius, but just too often eccentric without the genius. All the genius was there for us yesterday. Oh, it certainly was. What he's thirty-five years old, and you know, I was saying earlier, it, it has not been an easy journey for a for a Glenn Maxwell. Eccentric people, you know, he doesn't quite fit the system. You know, there there was that terrible period. Remember, was it about twenty sixteen, Jed, when um, he he made that bumbled approach to move. He was so unhappy at Victoria, he tried to move to New South Wales, and then one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen in sport, where he was batting at six and was asked why he was batting at six. And he said, well, the captain chooses the batting order. Matthew Wade bats ahead of me. He said that in the Shield situation. And uh, when he joined his Australian teammates, they wrapped him over the knuckles and put him in the naughty corner. I think they fined him for saying that and made him apologise to Matthew Wade. I don't know what was going on there. But I suppose my point around this is I even remember Rod Marsh, the chief selector at the time, saying he's played 10 matches. His last 10 matches, he's averaged 10. And even Darren Lehman being equally dismissive, and they were right to be so because he was battling in those periods. But to be in and out of the of a, the one-day side at times, but to be around the test side but never really get a chance and never really get your opportunity against the red ball because you're a white ball specialist, it's a difficult career, but he's done it very well. So he will be the great unanswered question of this generation of Australian cricket. Now, so I'm a sympathiser, always have been, and people will know that. But if Australia had had more faith, if it had had more imagination, if it had had a greater belief and if it had shown him that they believed rather than those constant moments of doubt, what might he have been? So people always say, we'll do it when it matters. And they've ignored all the moments when he did it when it mattered. And when they did entrust him to test cricket in India and he made a century in difficult circumstances and it was consequential to Australia's saving of a test match. Um, he j- it, it, And will always be those who didn't pick him will always have very sound grounds. And yes, mm. he was his own worst enemy. But if that the unanswerable question of our generation is, if we had had the imagination and they'd put their arms around him, what might he have been? Mm. Well, yeah, I suppose they're going to say, well, <laughs> we were waiting until he turned 35 before this happened. You know, it has been, you know, not that there haven't been glimpses of his genius before, if not, yeah major statements of it. You know what? Uh, just another, just a thing about the bloke at the other end, Jared. Yep. I was on a building site in Melbourne last week having a chat to some of your listeners and uh, a lawyer came on site um, and uh, he said, I hate the Australian cricket team. I said, oh, that's interesting. I said, they're a pretty likeable group of people. And he said, and that Pat Cummins, arrogant B, he said. What gives you that impression? I oh, just look at him. Look at the way he carries on. Well, I said, 
it's interesting you have that perception and that, that you would speak negatively of arrogance given you given the way you're speaking to me at the moment. But um the humility of him of Cummins up the other end, just to sit there and just to anchor that role. And has anyone made fewer runs in a partnership? And in the previous game too, you'll notice that the comment uh, walking off the ground, all of the collective commentators, and it was Atherton and Ponting and a few of the others, were saying how well Pat Cummins has, has started to captain yep. in this World Cup. He's making the right choices. He's a very inexperienced one-day captain. But um, well done, Pat. I, I, I liked that support role there. It, yeah. was so, it was just what I'd expect from a humble bloke like you. Swaino texter. I caught up with Maxwell's innings last night. It was like a movie script. Unbelievable. Absolutely insane. What an innings. I watched the last over about 10 times in a row. What a moment. The last four balls is... You go back and watch those. You never see that sequence again. Um, Pete, I want to ask you about, in a moment, the, the spirit of cricket and the laws of the game. What do you know? Oh, they no. intersected for us rather nastily again today. Meg Lanning announcing her retirement from international cricket, Australia's long-term women's captain, a period of phenomenal success. She's drawing it to a close today. Waitley on SEN. I haven't done anything wrong. Uh, I have two minutes to get to the crease and get myself ready, which I did. And then it was an equipment malfunction. And I don't know where the common sense went, uh, because obviously it's obviously disgraceful from uh, Shakib and Bangladesh if they want to play cricket like that. Obviously stooped down to that level, I think there's something wrong um, drastically. So it was just pure common sense. I'm not talking about um, uh, mancading or obstructing the field here. This is just pure common sense and bringing the game into, you know, disrepute. It's absolutely um, disgraceful. Angelo Matthews didn't mince his words after a spiteful night between Sri Lanka and Bangladesh. First man in international ODI cricket to be timed out. One of those moments that makes cricket unique. The laws are explicit. The spirit contradicts that. And where is common sense? Play a role, Pete. How'd you take this in? <laughs> I feel like I've been caught up in one of those sort of uh, moral thought experiments that Peter Singer does, yep. or something. You know, that suddenly he's convinced me that eating whales the same as eating a cow. Um, yeah, you watched it and you went, "Oh, that that doesn't look good, does it?" And he went, "Oh, hang on a minute, I'm Australian. <laughs> rules are rules. You're out, mate. Bugger <laughs> off." Um, and in 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 that spirit, uh, the more I've the more I've uh, learned of the incident and watched it, um, the less sympathy I have for Angelo Matthews. He he took a long time to get to the middle. He was not unaware. The umpires told him that he he's, that he better face up. His time was up. Then the strap broke. So it was already two minutes. Um, and uh, what did he do? He didn't look to the umpires. It was the kind of that. Dopey arrogance, you know, very similar to Bairstow's. Um, uh, Shakib Al Hassan is not a great bloke, <laughs> it was not a great look, but you know, Angela, stay in the game, mate. Stay in the game. I'm pleased to see uh, uh people moving the game on a little bit. Well, it's too much time wasting. Do you think the is that a good rationalization, Derek? Yeah, yeah, as it, it all depends. Uh, and, and then there's the so what, what do we expect the umpires to do? Like the umpires are there to enforce the laws of the game. Now, had there's no leeway for them. Yeah, is yeah. Uh, so if it's out, it's out. They yep. haven't got it. Oh, oh, really, mate? You know, 
If you appeal and it's out, they've got to give you out. Yeah. yeah. So cr- cricket yeah. does tie itself in knots with these things, doesn't it? <laughs> it sure does. I mean, um, I mean, uh, Sh- Shakib's gone now, hasn't he? He's announced he's injured and he's left the World Cup. A very controversial character, that one. I've seen that meme going around of him throwing all the stumps on the ground in a uh, T20 match in the past. But... Yeah, I'm so it just was dopey from Ansel Matthews. He just it broke. He didn't look to the umpires. He didn't pay any respect to the officials, and he didn't pay any respect to the rules of the game. Yep. And he was completely aware of it. I'm sorry, Ansel. It's very hard to have any sympathy for you in that situation. All right, oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen to have your say, uh, Pete. Just as I'll let you be because you're in high demand this morning. When we talk next, will Australia be in the World Cup final or will they, will they have fallen in the semi? What do you reckon? Oh, mate, you know, student of history, we've got South Africa, Jed. It's walk in the park. You know what's going to happen. <laughs> it's just what no, unusual method those... would happen. Yeah. <laughs> anything could happen in those semifinals. But this has been a fantastic World Cup. I've loved it so much. It's a great tournament. Terrific, Pete. Thanks for your time. Cheers, Jed. Pete Lawler broke the story this morning that Meg Lanning is retiring from international cricket. That will happen in the next hour. We will share that with you as we go. Our cricket chat, Henley's new home designs with dropped prices, all the luxuries, and now seven-star energy efficiency. one 736 and the 40 Winks temper text, 0433-981116. Temper, a mattress like no other. Nathan, thank you. Here's a snapshot of your thoughts this morning. Brett has texted through. Well done, Meg. A huge congratulations for what has been an outstanding career. Unassuming yet dominating. Commanding respect whilst always being respectful. Leader of women, just as she led the world into a new era of professionalism in women's cricket. A true legend of the greatest game. All the best in your future endeavours. A salute to Meg Lanning as she announces her retirement. Maxwell put on a home run hitting exhibition yesterday. You can't put a rope around the wind. You just have to let it blow. With absolute respect, after watching Maxie at least 10 times, I have to admit the cramping was actually hilarious. Anyone who's cramped would appreciate with levity what he was going through. And the vision was very amusing, especially the dolphin fish out of water was particularly funny. And innings which covered all aspects of achievement and entertainment. Greatest ever, Scott. Richie Benno always said, bowlers should shudder when Gordon Greenwich walked to the crease with a limp because they knew he would be concentrating harder. That's from Mark. Regarding the timeout decision and the umpires, you can see Erasmus go to the Bangladesh captain twice to ask, do you want to withdraw the appeal? That's all the employer can do, or that's all the umpire can do. I'm sure that's the autocorrect. Once the captain confirmed the appeal stand, the umpire has no choice but to give it out. That's precisely the case. Pat Cummins dug in to support Maxi the other night. 12 off 68. He was at the crease when we won the first Ashes test, 44 off 73. He's a clutch player. I feel his squad loves him as much as any Australian squad has loved their captain, Phil from Abbotsford. And used to go to the Oaks every year in the nursery. Place was packed. Great crowd. Great days. Then the VRC killed it, tripled the cost of sites and halved the number of tickets per site. Last time we went, it was a ghost town. Literal tumbleweeds rolling down the streets. Can't get the group's interest back now. 
0433981140 Wings Temper Text, Temper a mattress like no other. Oaks Day in Melbourne, so a Thursday with a different kind of rhythm. Bit of racing, bit of AFLW finals, plenty of cricket. Shannon Gill's going to take on the task as he's our nostalgia man. What are the innings that have come to mind since watching Glenn Maxwell do that? Flight Centre's big red sale is on with limited time offers on flights, cruises, holidays and tours. Book now to save big. A bit of the Oaks coming up next on Waitley for the all-new Hyundai Kona Imagine to be Bold. Morris Finance, skip the life admin with Morris Personal and Host Plus. Now, back to Waitley. As Amazonian Lass went for home, 250 metres to go, three or four lengths in front from Sardozzi, then Harlow missed Kona Sana. Amazonian Lass with 150 metres to go, two and a half lengths in front of Sardozzi, who's picking her back. Amazonian Lass getting tired. Sardozzi is not going to get there. Amazonian Lass has just won from Sardozzi. A gap to in third, Harlow missed, then Ethel fled, who was the eye-catcher. That was the wakeful stakes on Saturday. Now, there's no two races more closely aligned on the Australian turf than the wakeful into the Oaks. Uh, Amazonian Lass is looking to further that today. So when these big races come along, Ross and I love to flick through and just have a look who's in the ownership of some of them. So the Geelong classic form is represented by Served Cold and you'll find a Gunston and a Roughhead and a Shields in that. So the Hawthorne boys are, are having their go after the Richmond players ran second in the cup with Solcombe. We found a very familiar name to us, at least, in the way that we follow racing in the ownership of Amazonian Lass. Gary Crisp is the executive director of racing and sports. So he's perfected the time form ratings. And I was trying to think, what's the right analogy to share with you? So this is a little bit imperfect, but if Hoiny had a son who was playing league footy, I reckon that would be the equivalent. So Gary Crisp has Amazonian Lass in the Oaks today. Hello to you, Gary. G'day, Jared. How are you going? I'm well. So you look at racing from a very technical and statistical perspective, but I want the emotional perspective today. Are you feeling the excitement with a runner in the Oaks? Oh, absolutely. I never thought I'd ever be privileged enough to be in this uh, position as I am today. So, yeah, no, it's a fantastic feeling. And Saturday was an amazing feeling. It's uh, hard to explain, actually, but a uh, very exciting day. And, uh, yeah, wonderful win by the filly. She's a beautiful filly. So, yeah, looking forward to today. What's tempted you from the analysis of everybody else's horses to own yourself? Uh, well, basically, over the years, you know, that with uh, you know, worked with Timeform for 25 years, so I believe in in the process, and uh, we do all the ratings for Timeform in the Southern Hemisphere and through Japan and, and Asia and, and that sort of place. But over the years, I've, you know, I've been travelling around and talking to the major studs uh, globally. They actually use our time form ratings in in their process of selecting brood mares and to go to certain stallions. So. I thought, well, this is sort of something that perhaps I could actually have a look at when I have a bit more time on my hands. So I set about developing my own model based around time form ratings. I'm not a breeding buff by any stretch of the imagination, but I approach it from the lens of using time form ratings and, and how uh, the progeny of different stallions uh, rate with regards to male and female uh, progeny. There is a difference. Uh, and also the, the production or, or the produce that mares produce. And I found a lot of interesting trends. So putting all that together, into a model, 
I then put that over the top of uh, fillies that, that, that I'm interested in uh, purchasing and, and that's the way I've done it and I've invested in quite a few. Uh, North Star Lass was uh, my first foray into that process and she was very successful for us and uh, and Amazonian Lass was one of another group that, that, that I've gone into. So, uh, yeah, so for me it's quite satisfying that that the process does seem to work and does validate what the major studs around the world are doing as well. And I know it works because they keep taking our figures and, and put it through their own analysis. So, so yeah, it's a, a totally different process, I suppose, of coming up with, uh, you know, with the fillies that I want to invest in. I don't get them all right. I don't expect to, but you know, I'm having a lot of fun along the way. Oh, I love this. It's like David King taking the formulas of champion data and applying them to the teams and then seeing what it looks like when they play. What was it about Amazonian Lass that, that drew you there? Uh, well, basically, More Than Ready is... Uh, this, she was the last of the More Than Ready um, progeny. Uh, but basically, on the dam side, Dynastic Lady was a, was a fast-net rock filly, but she's uh, got Galileo in, in, in the dam side as well, the second dam of, of Amazonian Lasses, Galileo. Now, always, I've listened to Aidan over the years tell me how Galileo, you know, up, up, upgrades all, all, all the horses he has. So I thought, well, you know, uh, why, why shouldn't it happen with this filly? But there were other signs on, you know, throughout the dams and and, and then ratings analysis on that side, uh, as, as as well as the more than ready cross and 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 uh, you know, so so she, she to me looked and, and she was a beautiful filly, uh, but she did have a very strong statistical analysis, you, you know, that 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 sort of fitted the model that I'm working to. What did you think of her on Saturday? Oh, she's fantastic. I mean, I mean, Gay's always thought that she would need 2,000 metres, and each run this campaign, she's always improved her figures. She's jumped about three or four pounds each time, and and the race on Saturday uh, rated about a pound below the five-year winning average for you know for the Wakeful. So we know the form was quite good. Um, and, and you know, I, I think she'll improve again today. They've all got to run 2,500 metres, of course. But I mean, I think that I'm hoping that the Galileo blood does actually kick in in that last couple of hundred metres. But uh, but you know, I mean, I, I think she'll be a lot stronger next time round as well. She's only this is only her second preparation. She's only had the seven starts. So it, it, it's it's interesting though, Jared. When um, Sam Clifton rode her in the first up run of the Light Fingers in Sydney. He gave us an enormous rap for her that day. He said she felt just so strong under him and, and felt that she sort of, you know, would be really, really strong as she got out over staying distances, which I thought was interesting observation from him at the time. So I'm so interested in this. Is the horse that ran second, Zardozzi, on Saturday, is everybody's popular pick? Amazonian lass is, we know what the wakeful form is in the Oaks. What does the stats man say in you, Gary? So don't worry about the owner. Does the stats man say Amazonian lass can hold off Zardozzi again or we'll see a turning of the tables? Uh, well, to be honest with you, she as the day she gets a couple of kilos turnaround and being a weights and measures man, I've got to, I've got to say that uh, Amazonian Lass actually does face a task. But on the on the flip side to that, like I say, Amazonian Lass has made that slight jump in the figures each time that she stepped out and you know in the last four runs. So. I'm confident that she'll do that again, whether that's sufficient enough to hold out. So, Daisy, he's a very smart filly, by the way. Uh, it'd be no disgrace to be beaten by her if we were to be beaten. But uh, but it's a lot stronger race, obviously, than, than Saturday, a bit more depth. But, uh, you know, it's going to be exciting just the same. I can imagine that usually you would be pretty cold and calculating during the running of any race. Is, will, we, will we find you sort of hot and emotional as she's going around? <laughs> Uh, I think you might, Jared. Yes, I think you might. <laughs> well, I mean, you don't get an opportunity to 
have a runner in in, in an Oaks, let alone one with a with a good chance of winning. So yeah, it's very exciting. No, it's it's great. It's good on you, Gary. And I love yeah. to hear the the practical application of the theory that has served racing so well for sort of twenty five years. Just as we close, Gary, it was a glorious Melbourne Cup. Was it a great Melbourne Cup, according to to your analysis? Uh, yeah, I think it was. I mean, we had the winner going one twenty seven and. Uh, that's a figure that's only been better twice this century. So I think it was a very good Melbourne Cup, as the Caulfield Cup was a very strong form reference into into the Melbourne Cup. Look, I think the Melbourne Cup in the last few years is, is proven to be a very strong race. And they've had some really good winners of the race, I think, which is good, good for the race and good for racing. Terrific, Gary. The very best of luck this afternoon. Thanks for sharing it with us. Yeah, pleasure, Jared. Thank you very much for having me on. Good on you. Gary Crisp, who's the Executive Director of Racing and Sports, and he's putting his his theories and his data into practice in the ownership of Amazonian Lass in the Oaks today. Hi, Jared. This Moneyball racing style best, that's Pete and Bo Morris. So I feel like it's not perfect, but if Hoiny had a son who was playing in the AFL, it'd be something like what's about to transpire. I reckon there's some threads that we'd understand pretty well out of that. Um, Hamish McLaughlin, he's what he's playing for the showcase today. So that three years in a row, he's given us the trifecta in the top four in the Oaks. He's the defending champion. He'll be back to do that again. We've got some AFLW coming and Meg Lanning's announcement of her retirement from international cricket. Waitley on SEN. Ian hails from Mackay in North Queensland, but I'm in Victoria for a week taking my daughter and her friend to the Oaks for my second ever visit to Flemington, except for drifting over the main strait in a hot air balloon a couple of years ago. Ian, have a terrific day. Uh, I hope you enjoy it with your daughter and her friend. To Meg Lanning, well done, Meg. What a fantastic player and leader you were. Amazing changes to the standard and exposure of the game during your time. We will miss your beautiful stroke play. All the best to you. That is from Jenny. Meg Lanning, a pure superstar cricketer and person. And Anne in Ringwoods. Morning, Jared. WBBL was wonderful yesterday at beautiful Jubilee Park in Ringwood. Pity it doesn't get more publicity, but was a lovely venue and lots of people with the free entry. Uh, so Anne and Ringwood partook in that. 0433 98 11 16 40 Winks Temper Texts. Temper a mattress like no other. Those headed for the Oaks today. Salute to Meg Lanning. Her press conference is due at 10.30 today. We'll share as much with you as we can. The OMF Big Big Spring Sale is on now with up to 60% off selected mattresses. Hamish McLaughlin with the Oaks trifecta in the first four, having succeeded three years running, is coming up on the program. Some AFLW next. The opening weekend of the final series is pending. This is Waitley. First weekend of the AFLW final series, Saturday and Sunday. It's a doubleheader in Victoria on Sunday. So at Princess Park, two perennials, Melbourne and North Melbourne. They've made finals routinely. Down the highway, the teams that finished sixth and seventh. So at GMHBA Stadium, Geelong and Essendon. On the captain's run tomorrow, you'll hear from the Bombers. The Cats coach joins me. So Essendon first time into the finals. Geelong first time, other than that curious conference year where they played finals. But uh, in the like for like, this is their first time in a top eight qualification for a final series. Dan Lowther is the Cats AFLW coach. Dan, great to have you on the program. Thanks for having me, Jared. What sort of accomplishment was it for your for your team, for your women, to, to qualify for this final series? 
Uh, it was it was a, a, a proud one. Like we we actually played finals last year, which was our first uh, under the, the new um, the eight conference. So um, this is our second second hit at it. So we're happy to to go back to back, which is which is good. But off the back of um, you know a differing fixture from from year to year or season to season, um, to play against teams that there might be some unknowns around uh, to to win games early and to to make another final series is really really happy. Sorry, I shortchanged you. Is you've come uh, to the you came to the job in July 2021. So, correct. just take me through what were you looking to build, and what sort of progression would you would you say has been made season on season for you? It was a it was a strategic one, mate. We um we could see the the way the AFLW was rapidly improving, so we just had to make sure we we got ahead of the curve. So we um yeah we we made some changes to our our strength and conditioning space where we. We uh, invested heavily in coaching around that uh, running program to make sure that our, our players could could run efficiently uh, to try and negate some of the injuries that we were seeing throughout the competition, um, and then the on-field around fundamentals uh, and bringing players into our list that could actually, um, you know, support the, the growth of the game in a fundamental space. Which um, ideally we want the product to look as good as it can, and the, the fundamental parts of the game are important. So you know, those are two, two of the key areas where key areas where we uh, we made some. Some huge change, and we've 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 made you know 21 changes to our list over the last three seasons. So it's a, it's a big big change for us. How do you? Uh, I mean, the eye would tell you. How do you measure the progression that's been made? Uh, you just have to look at the way the game's been being played this season, in particular. Um, you know, the, the two seasons in one last year um, were were a huge uh, bonus for the for the AFW for me in regards to just the players having a chance to practice their their skill and, 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 and train for longer and play for, for longer. And um, you know, this year with the, the scoring going through, um, you know, different barriers, uh, the game's being played for longer periods as well. Um, you know, just the, the way the game's being, being played now at a high level uh, fundamentally as well um, across the competition, even the, the new teams coming in. Um, it's going to take some time, clearly. But the way we're scoring, the way the ball's moving and the fundamentals for me are, are rapidly improving. You played Essendon earlier in the season, and and they beat you. Is what what will you take from that game as as it applies to Sunday? Uh, we don't want to talk about it too much, Jerry. <laughs> We're kind of looking forward, but um, but no, a lot of lessons learned that middle part of the season for us. Uh, it was a trip to Warrnambool, which um, you know we, we had a lot going on, and uh, I suppose our focus was to to win the game. But we, we were distracted by a few things, and that's not taking away anything from the Bombers. We expected to win that game, so. Yeah, the girls are really, really confident to go into this week to, to, to get some redemption, I suppose. But the last two or three weeks for us has been a, been a spike in performance. So we just went up for the contest um, against uh, the Bombers uh, in round six. So they were tougher, they were faster, they were stronger. Um, they're just elements we've, we've tried to improve over the last month. So, um, yeah, it'll be a big test on the weekend for us. Hey, you didn't have the result you were hoping for last night at the tribunal. So Kate Darby was suspended for a match for a high bump. Um did you were you hopeful last night? Is how did you think that was going to fall? We were hopeful, mate. Yeah, we as you know, like we, we freeze frame the angles in different uh, different ways, and, and we give our own, um, I suppose, summation of what we think is is the right outcome. But um, there was there was contact to the head, whether it was uh, forceful or, or not. There's still there was still uh, contact to to what looked like a high contact. So we were were hopeful to to downgrade it at least. To, uh, to give Kate a chance to play the final, but um, 
you know, uh, the head sanker sanker was, as we all know, so I can understand where the, where the uh, MRO, MRO sat. But um, we've got some plans in place to replace uh, Kate for this week. But, um, yeah, it was a bit of a shame for her. At the during the case, did, did you? Um, so I obviously didn't sit through it. Did you use examples from the men's competition as well as the women's to try to to try to free her? Oh yeah, I, yes we did. Yes we did. Okay. I, I, I say Brad Maynard uh, came up a couple of times. Oh, right, and, yes, and Paddy Cripps as well. But um, but we're, a bit of desperation, I suppose, around that. But yeah, there's some, some precedents have been set around um, head high contact that we thought maybe could be raised and and give Kate a fighting chance to get off. But um, it wasn't to be, unfortunately. Uh, in our house, the the girls like like everybody are, are captured by Georgie Prasparkas. Um, as a coach, just just describe her style of play and and what she does for your team. Uh, she she's an attacking uh, attacking mid who is exceptional in a contest. Like her, I haven't seen a player in in such a long time, whether it be men or or the women's game, who can evade with speed like she does. Um, she's tough at the footy. Um, she she loves to 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 evade, use her skills to try and get her players uh, involved in the outsiders uh, contest. Um, and she's got this absolute hunger to um, to be the best. And she needs to be pulled back every now and then to kind of see the bigger picture around uh, what's happening around her you know, from quarter to quarter, or moment to moment. But what what we can't hold back is uh, just her, her first to, to be the best player she possibly can. And she does it at training as well. So. You know, just an example, Renee Gehring um, has been a long-time player for us. She's retiring. Um, she'll challenge her uh, every session in our match play training. She will just challenge her and play exceptionally hard to make her be even better. And the fights that we see at training between those two in particular, um, they're just one of those things that not everyone gets to see. So yeah. um, she would just be, yeah, she's going to get better and better, which is amazing. What's the competition like with her sister? Because the Prosparka sisters are great characters in the AFLW, and here they are meeting in an elimination final. Uh, she plays everything down very well. So I think um, the, the initial game a couple of seasons ago, which was you know bantered around the the, the Prosparkus Cup, didn't sit very well with her. Yep. So we we don't mention that anymore. And um, she just uh, yeah, I think she wants to let her football do the talking. She's got utmost respect for her sister clearly, as we as do we. Um, but I think uh, after the loss during the season, I think she wants to get one back pretty pretty badly. Uh, your your long term captain, uh, Megan McDonald. Um, how? Like they, these are these are big moments in a captain's career. What's her demeanour like towards Sunday? Uh, very steely, very focused on on the game. Obviously, having uh, you know, playing our final last year against the Kangaroos and and losing by two points in a in a game where we, to be fair, dominated our inside fifty opportunities. It just didn't make didn't make the most of it. So she's got that in the back of her mind too about how we can uh, be better, you know, better ready for the opportunity and the moment. So. Um, her approach this week is to is to calm the group, is to to make sure that the group is is learning from last last year's uh, disappointment, but also not to look too far ahead in regards to you know, the outcomes of the game. So um, she's just being Meg, which is uh, just not ultra professional, and, and making sure that everyone's uh, well grounded going into the game. It's an incredible squeeze in the bottom half of the eight down throughout the season. So as it turns out. Fifth through ninth, we're all on six wins. The Suns had a draw as well. Uh, you've won the same win-loss ratio as Essendon. I, the, the tiers, so the four teams who have been the powerhouses of it sit as the top four. Is that a a gulf that is proving difficult to bridge, um, or can you see can you see that standard not far from your grasp? Uh, it's an interesting question. Uh, those those top four teams have. Have played together for a long period of time, and and 
their success leads to more games and more training and more practice. And, you know, I haven't done the math on it, but I'd I'd love to see how many more games those four teams in particular play compared to the rest of the competition over the period of, say, seven or eight seasons. Um, So it's, it's, no doubt the, the the gap will be will be narrowed. Uh, it will take some time as as teams are, are staying together for longer. That will help. Uh, it's probably one big big thing for us over the last three seasons. That yes, we've gone through some change with our list, but that the bulk of our players have played together for three seasons. So, you know, we're seeing some improvement in that space. Until that happens consistently, um, you know, we won't see the massive gains early. But certainly, the longer it's um, the teams can stay together, uh, those gaps will be narrowed. So, yeah. those top four teams are going to be hard to beat. Is it? Um, is it holding the competition back? I mean, it's we know exactly why and how because of the staggered introductions. Um, I don't know. Is there any way to fast track that? It does it. There are such tears in this competition at the moment. Is that the source of frustration for those who are involved in it? Yeah, it is. I mean, it is what it is at the moment. Like we're, the, the AFLW pro, um, competition's in place, and that just has to be accepted from everyone. So here we are. We, we just need to play and train for longer. Uh, so 10 games, moving into 11 games next season is is something that's, that's a positive, yes, but... We all saw last year when, when the teams played 20 games uh, and some played more, clearly. Um, there's no surprise why this season the changes and improvements have been clear to see. So we just need to play more so we can train more. And I know the CBA has given, given the girls longer periods uh, you know, at, uh, at their programs, which is great. But you really, you're still only getting 11 games um, for most and, and, and some might get more. So the, the more we get to train and practice our crafts and our product, the, the better it will become. You've coached both men's and women's programs in your time. Um, what, what's the what's the fundamental difference in the job in the AFLW world as opposed to in the men's programs? Uh, yeah, they're two, two different kills of fish. Uh, the, the lads, uh, they're, they're well, they're well, um, I suppose, grounded in their, I suppose, the way they see themselves in the program. Like they've they've had you know, the guys have you know been playing since dads of five or six, and they're. Uh, you know they've been exceptional players uh, throughout their junior career and into their senior career, and and the difference between you know, the, the W program is that um, we're only now starting to see that type of player come through who's been you know been been through the the pathways for for a long period of time. But for the most part, we're looking at dual athletes or or players who've come into the system quite late. So it's just that you know the fundamental aspects of the game and game awareness is is something that needs to be trained really hard, and and the guys have that already, um, and they refine that over time, but. You know, for the for the W program, it's it's about um, you know the basics of footy, the game awareness part of the, of the game, and yeah, it's it's getting better and better, and it will only get better going forward. How sophisticated can you be with with style and with strategy at the moment? Yeah, you, you can be you can be very strategic. Uh, there's some from week to week, coach to coach, have different ways to kind of upset plans that uh, you might have going into a game, but. You know, without that fundamental I'm discussing around, you know, kick Mark Campbell, you know, the best laid plan is to move the ball and change direction. If you, if you can't execute the fundamental part, well, then it's quite difficult to execute. So um, so that part aside, there's still things you do from set plays that can certainly uh, have an impact on performance and outcomes. Um, so they're probably the things you see more often. So Sunday, one oh five GMHBA Stadium, elimination final. How, how big a moment is it for the club? Oh, it's huge. It's huge. Like... To have the men's success last uh, last year, um, you know, flow into our program to a final series, and then again uh, for, for us to make another finals uh, series is exceptional. Uh, we had a, an amazing crowd last week, close to five thousand, and 
as I said before, it, it just sounds like there's 20,000 with the, with the hype and the, and the noise that the girls get to experience, and it does drive them harder. Um, so, you know, to have uh, another large crowd this weekend would certainly help our, um, our girls spike at the right time. But, um, you know, just to play again in the postseason uh, against the, you know, a team who's playing their first final, um, it's going to be a, a ripper of a day, and I can't wait to, to get there. Terrific. Good on you, Dan. Thanks for sharing that with us, and good luck for Sunday. Thanks, Jared. Thanks for coming. Dan Lowther is the AFLW coach. So 105 Sunday afternoon at GMHBA Stadium. Tickets via Ticketmaster. Uh, so, yes, there's a finals loss last year by two points to North Melbourne, and now they'll take their chance against Essendon 6v7, the Bombers' side of things, with Sam tomorrow on the captain's run. Your thoughts, 40 Wings Temper text 0433 98 11 16, temper a mattress like no other, and you can call 1300 736 736. Melbourne's weather, cloud clearing, a top of 22 for City Power, supplying power to homes in the CBD and inner suburbs. Now, back to Waitley. We hold our pen dry for that at the moment. We're seven years old and eight seasons old. Um, we will take our time to make sure that we honour whomever these uh, awards will be named after. Nicole Livingston there. So the announcement was made yesterday that Aaron Phillips is presenting the best player on the grounds medal for the grand final, but it is not yet named in her honour. So... Now that Daisy Pearce and Aaron Phillips are retired, it is this off-season for AFLW will offer the moment to sit there and go, okay, so what are we going to do for those who are part of the elite competition? There's the Heritage, which will be honoured progressively through the Hall of Fame, I'm sure. But the AFLW, what names will be associated with those medals? So the AFL not moving immediately on that front. But now that the the two iconic players of the formation period are established is will those two names adorn the individual honours in the short term. 0433 98 11 16. I've, I can't remember having more correspondence about an individual performance on the field than what we've had around Glenn Maxwell. So I'll share a little bit of more of that with you. That question that we pondered with Pete, and it's not the first time we've drifted in this direction, that unanswered question of what could Glenn Maxwell have been for Australian cricket if rather than doubting him and second-guessing him and asking him to change, if Australian cricket had had enough imagination and a much, as enough trust to, to select him more often and to give him a proper look at Test cricket. Now, Maxwell's own role and his demeanour played a role in all of this, and it will always be justifiable why he wasn't picked but if the leap of faith had been taken, what might it have looked like? I know Kane's mind went in this direction last night on Sports Day and he put the question to Ian Smith. Glenn Maxwell would have played a lot of tests for New Zealand. You know, Glenn Maxwell would have played a lot of tests for a lot of other countries. Mm. It's the fact that uh, in the area he bats in test cricket, that middle order spot, Australia have been traditionally very, very strong and have got great depth in that area. So uh, I... Uh, Look, I'd love to see Glenn Maxwell, uh, that kind of Glenn Maxwell, play test the things like that every now and then. But it's it's just not a done thing, is it? I mean, you know, maybe he, maybe in ten years' time, Test cricket will evolve into that. Uh, Glenn Maxwell will sadly be probably not around to, to be playing it. But and some people are saying that's the kind of thing Test cricket needs. Well, it, it does need that that kind of unpredictability. But it's also a beautiful predictability about Test cricket. Why? He, hasn't made it. I, don't, I could say that about a lot of players. 
it's an unanswered question, and it will always be justifiable why he wasn't picked. Uh, but if we'd had the imagination for it, what might it have looked like? He made that century in India in really difficult conditions. So don't tell me he couldn't have done it. And the balance of a team would have been so enhanced through those periods had he played. It's too late in the day now. There were moments. There were moments when he was kept out of an Australia A tour because he was already um, franked to be part of the next test tour. And then there was a change of coach and Justin Langer didn't want him in his squad when selections were made. And then he, he has been his own worst enemy. I think he would have been part of this year's tour to India uh, and he would have been such a valuable asset as Australia played the all-rounder, the pace all-rounder, and they could really have used a, a spin all-rounder. And I think they, yeah, they, they just had players batting out of position for various stages in that tour. So, and he broke his leg. So that was, that was on his own dime. It, it I just feel like, It'll be the unanswerable question of this generation is what might Glenn Maxwell have been for Australia if he'd been selected more often, if he'd been trusted and if he'd been fully embraced rather than the doubts that had gone with it. Roger Tech through Max Ball beats Baz Ball any day. Just ask Joe Root. In all the correspondence we've had, I, I like this. So Tim sent this through and I thought I would share it with you. Waitley at SEN. Dot com dot au. I had severe health. I have severe health issues and disability, which often cause me to experience insomnia and be up during the night. I also suffer from chronic asthma, and as the worst place in the world for those allergic to pollen, I was afflicted with quite disturbing yet somewhat manageable thunderstorm asthma last night. My thoughts go out to anyone afflicted and who have suffered over the years. I'm not making light of this at all, but nonetheless, it kept me up all night. Over the years, I've witnessed a number of freakish sporting deeds on account of the tyranny of not being able to sleep. Stokes, Headingley 2019. Cummins, run chase in the first test, 2023. Bairstow's run out, second test, 2023. Stokes in the second test, 2023. Mitch Marsh posting one of the most pure test hundreds I've seen. And last night, after watching the replay of Tottenham almost equalise with nine men against Chelsea and in a run out of legs... I was genuinely about to turn the screens off and lie in bed dosed up on asthma meds and the antihistamines, whiling away the hours and hoping from some semblance of sleep. I'm a massive cricket fan, but have watched very little of this World Cup. I switched over and the score read 7 for 91. While unwell, I was genuinely excited to see Afghanistan do well, so I decided to watch a few overs. That and Maxi was coming off a Maxi injury and I wondered how he'd look. When Maxi was dropped twice, I was almost disappointed to think it would have been nice to see the Afghanis take a huge leap in their cricket development. As the runs started to flow again, I almost switched off thinking Maxi may get 100, but it still wouldn't be enough. But I stayed. As I struggled with cramp in my back and ribs, struggling to move my chest, I noticed Maxi starting to struggle too. I also noticed he started hitting them sweetly. An enigmatic Victorian from an enigmatic climate providing his fellow Victorians braving the perils of our state with something to smile about. Okay, I'm in. I'm a traditionalist. I love a ponting drive or pull stroke, a Mark Wall cut shot, a Cipelli cover drive. But what Maxwell did last night was otherworldly. I recall looking at the runs needed when Maxi was on 130-odd. By now, it was four or maximums only, and the 70-odd needed matched the tra trajectory to the double ton. I can't say, see how this won't happen, providing he stays in and upright. 
There's many downsides to being kept awake till the early hours, but the last three boundaries with Ian Smith's commentary, the Indian crowd on their feet, the certainty it would happen, yet disbelief in the feat itself, was one of the greatest sporting moments I've witnessed and the most ridiculous innings I've seen. Life can do you lemons on occasions, but you never know when you'll be handed ready-made lemonade. Tim, I'm okay today. P.S. I'm okay today. A bit lemony, but I'll not forget the taste of the lemonade in a hurry. For the insomniacs living with us, Tim represents you and the glory of being up all night and seen something while the rest of us were largely sleeping. one 736 40 Wings Temper Text, 0433-981116, Temper a Mattress Like No Other, and the long form, which uh, I love getting the long form emails, particularly straight after sporting events. I appreciate them enormously. Waitley at sen.com.au. Here's Nathan in the newsroom. Nathan, thank you. So the unanswerable question on what Glenn Maxwell might have been. Hi, Jared. The selectors were fixated on fast bowling all round and not spin. Maxwell was stiff. Daryl from Ringwood. I know what Maxwell could have been if he was given the chance. Nothing. He's not good enough for test cricket and never will be. You need to get over it. Oh, Jesse's our narc. It's good to have you there, Jesse. Thank you. I do have, there's a test century at Ranchi, which I remember watching across a couple of days, which would stand in evidence against your view, but you're absolutely set against him and that's fine. Jesse, that's why sport's all about opinion. Didn't we have a similar to Maxwell and Andrew Simons and that worked, Ron, on the Gold Coast? We all know why, Jared. New South Wales bias. Smith couldn't stand him. Remember he, remember he questioned his training methods, Ian from Dandenong? That, that's sort of part of my point. If the whole Australian setup had embraced him rather than second-guessed him and shook their heads at him, I wonder what it could have been. It's That's... Maxwell was his own worst enemy at times, don't get me wrong, but it will be the unanswerable question. Dave from Albury, should Maxie be gifted a Boxing Day test to say thank you? No, no, he's a, he's a white ball cricketer and he's got plenty of white ball cricket left in him. He doesn't, he doesn't have a red ball case now. It had to be done in the past. And John in Collingwood, Maxwell stats in red ball answers the question. 24 in test cricket, 39 in first class cricket. Test cricket is a test over time, not a show. Love his white ball unpredictability. No thanks for tests. That's an old world view, John. That's not the direction in which test cricket has gone. Um, and he might have been able to. He might have been able to change all of that when he was trusted. He played at Ranchi. He made a tremendous century, deep in application and skill for those circumstances. And he was never given a shot on these shores. So an unanswerable question which we'll all theorize about uh, on the, on the timed out is in it. Gosh, you imagine if Australia had been part of this, if it had been timed out in Australia, England, what an inferno that would have been. Paul says completely agree with Pete Lawler on Angelo Matthews, his complete arrogance and disregard for the umpires, opposition captain and rules was glaringly obvious. Absolutely deserved what he got. Daryl from Ringwood, no one cares about the spirit of golf. They take no prisoners with their many ways to break rules. We'll even take calls from TV viewers and act. Part of cricket's charm, though, is melding spirit with the laws. Shakib Al-Hassan, so he is not a popular figure in the cricket world, as Pete was able to share with you. He has left the World Cup, but he was absolutely unrepentant at his press conference in the Matthews Furor. One of our fielder came to me and said, if you appeal, uh, uh, the law says he's out. 
because he uh, hasn't taken his guard within the time frame. So then I appealed to the umpires. Umpire told me whether you're going to call him back or not. You know, if I said he's out, then you call him back. It doesn't look good. I said I won't call him back. You know, we played under 19 together World Cup. So I know Angelo for a long, long time, since 2006. Uh, yeah, unfortunate, but uh, within the rules. Yes, it's out uh, as per the rule, but uh, in terms of spirit of cricket, did you ever think of calling him back again? Well, then ICC should look into it and change the rules. Shakib Al-Hassan, unrepentant, the Bangladesh captain there. So clearly he and Matthews have history, which plays a role in all of that as well. Stu from Wembley Downs, we are in familiar territory here with cricket. Applying the rules as rules approach, I assume that you and Peter are happy with uh, that you'd be comfortable with an appeal for handling the ball when the batsman gives it back to the fielder, Stu from Wembley Downs. No, it's it's not that simple as I think there's no other sport I feel that has such strident laws which are then either compromised or contradicted by the spirit and where you find yourself in that. Uh, and Angelo Matthews didn't do himself any favours in that. But we've lived through this before with the Bairstow incident, haven't we? And this time we're unemotionally involved as to where you land on it. It all felt a bit absurd to me at the time. Um, the laws are clear and the umpires are hamstrung in those moments. So it is in the, it reveals something about the character of the players. And Shakib is, he's a fractious figure within cricket quite clearly. And you've seen that play out. He's, he's left the World Cup with injury, which all feels a little bit convenient as well. Um, your Glenn Maxwell thoughts with uh, the unanswerable question, what might have been? Maxwell would have been a great test player. I'm with you on Glenn Maxwell. I wonder if Australia would have had the great careers of the likes of Doug Walters in our past, had we lacked the imagination as applies to the present ones. Players can win a game in one session. They're rare, Mark from Barwon Heads. Jed, why ponder what could have been? Let's celebrate what he is. I think we've been doing that pretty solidly, Jed. It just The mind just wanders a little bit further than that. I think Maxwell needs to be thankful for the faith that has been shown. There have been better cricketers who have performed more consistently but shown less faith than Maxwell, and they've never been seen again. Time to drop Inglis and bring back Carey if we want to win the World Cup. Glenn's in Adelaide. Um, the Master Blaster Viv did it in both formats. How on earth is it feasible to say Maxwell couldn't have? That's Fiona and Beverly. Good morning, Jared. I watched the cricket game up to half time, then had to go to bed. I couldn't believe what I was hearing yesterday in the morning at 6.30, wishing I'd stayed up to watch it. I wonder if Channel 9 would replay it, as I and a lot of people don't have Foxtel. It would be wonderful if they did. Thank you. Beverly. You're probably hoping for a rain delay in one of these semi-finals and they'd be able to put it in. And I did get this text a little earlier on. 40 Wings Temper text 0433981116. Temper a mattress like no other. Jared, has your dad got shares in the two My Racehorse horses today? Trent. He does, Trent. Two runners on Oaks Day. Unusual Pearl in the second and Tommy in the third, my racehorse at showtime, myracehorse.com.au. Hey, Dad, good to have you there. Yeah, good to pursue with you, Jared. Two runners on Oaks Day. What about that? Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Tommy's got a good each-way chance, and um, unusual Pearl, we've been waiting for her to get out to a 
suitable distance and 1700 and a good barrier and Harry Coffey, um, I reckon she's a sneaky chance to run a place. Oh, I like your optimism. Hey, I was thinking back when I was a kid, I feel like we had one runner at the Melbourne Cup Carnival. There was a horse called Paxanet who I reckon won at Mooney Valley on uh, grand final day and then went to the Cadbury Roses. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, at Sandown and, uh, and ran second. Yeah, but then I reckon it ran on either Oaks Day or Stakes Day in the straight race. She didn't go any good there, but in the, at yeah. the Melbourne Cup Carnival. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. I remember no, being at, it was grand final day at Mooney Valley. It was Darren Gauchy wrote her, wasn't it? And she, yeah, she was six yeah. or eight lengths in front and we were sitting in the grandstand going, oh my God, what's he doing? And she just kept going and won easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other, um, probably my greatest thrill was having Immersion running the Adelaide Cup. Um, but uh, we had all sorts of plans for him and um, it, uh, I remember Ken Sweeney told the jockey um, just to let him roll out and then go for him at the 600. But he jumped so well, he led all the way until the 600 and then died out. <laughs> Pretty shattered. <laughs> there were there were shattering days, weren't there? What, what was the day? We went to Bendigo one day with, it was Magic Amber, wasn't it, in the first? Yeah. And he yeah. the, uh, was Ray Lawson, the trainer, and that was the uh, day. He was just set up to win. And all yeah. you had to do was come around the corner and leave the fence because it was a heavy track. And the yeah. jockey stayed on the fence and he got bogged and got beaten. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, we're all pretty unhappy about that too. So you've, you've uh, owned small shares in horses since I was a kid uh, and you've just had your first Group 1 winner with um, with my racehorse when Just Fine won the Metropolitan. How How... How big a thrill was that? Oh, enormous, enormous. Um, you know, you dream of winning Group 1s. And, um, I mean, just um, my racehorse just gives you an opportunity to, to do that. I mean, they're top-bred horses and they're top trainers. And, um, you know, it, it just gives you, I mean, to have a horse with Gay Waterhouse, for instance, you know, it was just big. And she was so confident about him. She, she I remember when we first um, bought the share in it, she sent a, um, an email to us and said, you know, if this doesn't go through, it's great. I'm a monkey's uncle. <laughs> um, you know, and so, yeah, that, that was great. And then we had last Derby Day, we had Capulet and Emily with um, McElroy's, um, and uh, neither of them did. Uh, really well, but the heavy track, I don't think, uh, helped them. Um, so, yeah, we, we've had our thrills over the years and um, and also our disappointments, uh, probably the biggest disappointments. Do you remember we were at um, Warrnambool and Caronet broke its leg in yeah. place? Yep. Um, and then uh, just recently, the Dark um, Night Rises, um, you know, the poor thing got really sick and for four days you know it was um was pretty you know sad um in the end but you know that's the joys of racing um and the, and the sorrows the ups and downs but um yeah look it's it's I've, I've been mucking around with syndicates for probably nearly 40 years um and to have one group one um it's great and you know we've got some up and comers coming up um you know, that, that we hope will, um, will do well as well. 
So, uh, so uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, this has been this is uh, a great little family exercise. I don't mind sharing. This is you're our stable manager. Uh, Steve is your son-in-law, and, and me, and we're all in the we're all in the group texts and uh each week you send us an update on where the horses are so you distribute the information like your lloyd williams it's it's such good fun oh yeah and i feel like lloyd williams i, I sit at home <laughs> and send you two boys to the to the track but um i mean it's just i mean i've got parkinson's and i'm pretty limited what i can do physically now and so it's given me a whole new um outlook on on life and um and such a joy to be able to you know to be involved in it and for me the greatest thrill is having you and steve involved and and vary as well um you know it's just um been terrific to um to share that and and to share it together um is even better all right so we've got unusual pearl and tommy um so Tommy's a la- Tommy had the soft kill at his last start as a warm up for this. I feel like, he, and it, what is it? It's a very open race. I feel like he's huge chance. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he's a good each way chance. Um, and you know, you know, unusual pearl. She she's been crying out for the distance. She hasn't had much luck in her runs, but oh, Flemington and in, and a good barrier and Harry Coffey knows her, knows her now. Um, I think she's a sneaky chance for a, a place in, and that's in a, a strong race as well. So here's hoping anyway. <laughs> It'd be pretty cool to have a, a winner on Oaks Day. Oh, would it ever? Yeah, would it ever? Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'll, um, I'll be in touch a bit later and get the, get the betting instructions. Okay. Good, <laughs> good on you, dad. Okay, bye, Jeff. Get on it. That's my dad. So he's got a couple of runners with my racehorse today. My racehorse owned today for just $39. My racehorse at Showtime, myracehorse.com, T's and C's online. We, we, love the, we love the little owner. Actually, we love the big owners too, is the thrill of taking a horse to a day like this. So, um, yeah, we've got, a, we've got a bit of a fun afternoon in store. This is Waitley for the all-new Hyundai Kona. Imagine to be bold. Morris Finance. Skip the life admin with Morris Personal and Host Plus. Waitley on SEN. Hey, thanks for your message. Um, all your messages. Uh, my dad is 86 and has the same horses as your dad. It's great for him. Trent, yes. Isn't that terrific? Unusual Pearl and Tommy. So Trent, you're having the same experiences as, uh, as we are at the moment. I have a horse in at Ipswich with my brother today. It's so exciting to do it with family. That's Chris. Um, the great levels, levelers in life, football, mowing your own lawn, and horse racing. I didn't know mowing your own lawn was in that. You can really all have a favourite beaten no matter what percentage or horse race. That's Alex. Uh, so my racehorse, Owned today for just $39, My Racehorse. It's showtime, MyRacehorse.com, T's and C's online. Uh, and uh, where was I wanted one more message that I was looking at here. I would love to have this with my dad, who has owned a few country nags back in the day. Can you please repeat that website so I can look into it? Thank you and happy punting camo from Maroochydore. Yeah, so MyRacehorse.com is, is where you'll find it, the, the micro shares, but... Uh, it, it it fills our cup on that front, which is um, which is good fun for us and good fun for everyone. Um, oh, I did want to share. Sorry, I'm just finding the right 
the right messages at the right time. Re Maxwell, are we all so opinionated on a personal level about sports people that we overlook obvious talent and potential? Wasn't that long ago an unknown batter was selected for an ODI versus a Dale Stain-led South Africa at his peak to announce himself with a ba- with unabandoned ball striking. How could this player be afforded an opportunity to then develop as a red ball player, yet Maxwell not? Clearly politics and personal clashes have intervened. It is a what-if, and I believe Maxwell could have been one of the great number sixes in test cricket with his ability to bowl, also if given the chances afforded to others to finish. Dave Warner has been an amazing test opener for Australia since, and one can suggest that his failings on certain pitches wouldn't be Maxwell's. So, yeah, the, the imagination, the boldness to do it with Warner, if you think back to those circumstances, and they'll be well recounted at the time of his retirement and just not the same imagination with Maxwell. Anyway, it'll be one of the unanswerable questions of this generation of cricket followers. Question, what does pickle juice taste like? I don't know the answer to that. And I'm sure the marketing team will be bringing out a when you need a big show flavor. Love the show. Congrats to Meg. That's from Nicholas. Thank you. So Meg Lanning's press conference uh, at the MCG is happening. We're just trying to get access to it to be able to share some of that with you as Australia's female captain announces her retirement from international cricket. Melbourne's home of the ultimate celebration, the Osborne Rooftop and Bar, Commercial Road, South Yarra. A carryover Oaks champion, Hamish McLaughlin, next. Now, back to Waitley. Today's major development in sport, Australia's longtime captain of the women's cricket team is announcing her retirement from the international game. Meg Lanning has been the best batter in the world for a long period of time. She has led a team through an extraordinary era of dominance and success. Her time is closing. She is at the MCG. This is the press conference, courtesy of Fox Sports. Um, firstly, I just wanted to, to say how lucky and privileged I've been to have been able to, to represent Australia and play the game that I love um, for so long. Um, I grew up wanting to represent Australia and I had fun playing cricket. I loved it. And um, to be able to do it for 13 years um, has been an incredible opportunity for me and I'm very um, thankful for, for those opportunities. Um, I guess something that I've come to appreciate more of as I've gone on through my career um, is is the people that I meet and the, the moments that I've um, and memories that I guess have been created and I've been a part of. Um, and, um, you know, I think about those now and they're very special to me and, um, you know, scoring runs and um, helping my team win and doing as, as well as I can has, um, you know, been something I've loved. But, um, yeah, I guess being part of a really special team for... For so long and um, working together with them has, has been, uh, it's been my life essentially for 13 years. Um, I know nothing other than that and um, I've learnt so much and I've had so many incredible opportunities um, to, to do that and um, I'm sad that it's, it's finishing up but um, I'm very much ready for something, something new um, and and, and it's time to, to move on and go and experience um, other things other than, than playing cricket, um, which I'm really excited about. So, um, you know, I've, I've achieved so much within the game and um, 
I've been lucky enough to have such a successful career and be part of very successful teams. And um, I guess I, I feel like now I've got nothing left to achieve on the international stage. And um, for me, I I can't be half in or half out with anything. And uh, I guess that's that's where I've landed with this decision is that I, I, I no longer have the, the spark or um, motivation to do what needs to, to happen at, at this level. And, um, you know, so for me, it, it's, it's time to move on. And um, as I said, I'm very excited about that. Um, there's a few people who I'd like to to thank, um, firstly, um, um, mum and dad who are here, and my family. Um, you go out there as a, a cricketer, I guess, and you just see the, the playing part, but um, they ride the emotions with you, and um, they've always been there to support me no matter what, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, so thank you. Um, um, also, my close circle of friends and, and friends generally who have um, yeah, supported me throughout, been, as I said, there through the highs and lows um, of um, of my, my, my career and um, I certainly wouldn't have got through um, and been as successful as I was with, without, um, without you and um, yeah, I'm very appreciative to everyone. I, I, I won't be able to mention everyone, or, um, but hopefully you know who you are because um, that's, as I said, like I, I wouldn't have been as successful or been able to go out there and enjoy the game I love um, without, without that support. Um, I like to thank all my the teammates that I've I played with for Australia. It's been a privilege to play with all of you, and um, as I said before, that's what's made um, made it all so enjoyable and and fun and a great experience is is being alongside great people and meeting great people and working together. Um, you know, we spend so much time together away. Um, yeah, you, you get to know each other very well, and um, yeah, that's that's made it extra special for me. And um, I guess over over time, get to to speak about those sort of things. But um, yeah, just thank you for everyone who I've played alongside, who has, has made it such a special journey. Um, the coaching staff as well. Um, I guess you know, particularly Matthew Mott, who you know we had a we had a very successful. Um, five years but just we had some lows as well and I think sometimes that's easy to, to forget that it wasn't all plain sailing we had to work really hard to get um, get to where we were and um, yeah I, I think that you know, Moddy in particular and, and Shell um, yeah have had a really big impact on me and um, and everyone sort of I guess you know, the wider support staff um, we talk a lot as a team about how we you know, we couldn't go out there and play and do what we do without the the people behind us and um, they, you know, often don't get mentioned enough. Um, so thank you to everyone who's, um, yeah, I've sort of been in, in teams throughout my career. Um, and then just to, to Cricket Australia and um, everyone at, at Cricket Victoria and the, the ACA as well. Um, 
yeah, I, I feel like I've probably forgotten a few people and I'm sorry if I have, but um, yeah, I, it's been an incredible journey and I've loved every moment of playing for Australia and um, I'll miss it, but um, yeah, I'm, it's, it's time to, to go and see what else is out there and um, experience that and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing how that pans out. So um, I've got no idea how I went with that, but um, yeah, um, I think that's all I've got to say for the minute. <laughs> The retirement of an Australian captain, an emotional Meg Lanning. She became the Australian leader at 21, an incredible period of achievements during which she was the best batter in the world. She is a true great of the sport and an incredible leader during that period of unrivaled success. Meg Lanning announces her retirement at the MCG. I know in the in the next little bit she's going to come and join me in the studio in the weeks ahead and, uh, and reminisce and tell you about all of those days. So Meg Lanning retires as Australian captain. This Thursday, there are certain rituals. Some people go to the Oaks every year. Some people set us up for the Oaks every year. May I introduce to you the carryover champion. Montefilia, personal, Miraval and Salto Angel just for value. Personal takes the lead for Damien Oliver, his sixth Oaks. One by a length and a quarter. Second Salto Angel from Montefilia. And then came Miraval. So 4 one 2 six to win. To run second and third. Do sir a half. Willowy's going to have a go. Do sir. Willowy dives. Oaks, Willowy wins from Dusser second, photo third, Biscayne Bay Elusive Express. First four, two, one, eight and four. I think she's extreme, probably wins. She's extreme coming clear, three quarters a length for Vitra, and she's extreme for Anthony Cummings. The Cummings name lives on in the Oaks. She's extreme by a length for Vitra, Queen Air Zenzella. Three years in a row, he's given us the trifecta and the first four to boot. So I think in my this is he's won the cars and he's playing for the showcase now. Hamish McLaughlin, welcome back to Oaks Day. I feel genuinely nervous <laughs> today, Geraldo. I've been on a flight. I've got to do something tonight in Queensland, and I've changed my numbers a couple of times. Ooh. I'm sticking with what I sent you before we got on the plane. All nice right. to hear your voice. It's been a good carnival. It, it's been an excellent carnival. So great horses and great races make great carnivals, and I feel like we've had that the whole way through. The Caulfield Cup was superb. The, the Cox Plate was breathtaking, and it was a glorious Melbourne Cup. And I think also you sort of add in the Sydney racing. I know there's been that sort of them versus us feel a bit at times, but I was thinking about the hazes with Mr. Brightside and Apulia. They are a collective four inches away from winning you know, the Cox played in the derby. It's a tough game at times. And how brave was Mark Zara to get off, speaking of carryover champs, gold trip to jump on without a fight. And he was effortless in the Caulfield Cup. And I spoke to Mark Zara about 10 days ago. He said it wasn't the best ride in the Caulfield Cup. I think he should have won by more. And then on Tuesday, I really should have listened to him harder. I had a little bit on him, but he was pretty bullish. And I guess you don't jump off gold trip unless you're pretty keen. Where did you spend Cup Day? I was, I don't know who's your sponsor, but I was in the sports bet um, marquee. And uh, I tell you what is a good environment is when you are surrounded by fellow punters who don't need to have any conversation other than who's going to win the next, regardless <laughs> of what screen they're looking at. Often I'll go with so far, I'll take a, a guess. I went with a guy called Pete Summers, who's 
Greg, like you and I, when you go to the races, it's about the races. It's not about anything else. And we're surrounded by a lot of the sports bet clients. And uh, I don't reckon I've ever had a better day in my life. And that probably includes weddings and births of children. It was just a very good day. <laughs> we'll just keep that between us or we won't, we won't put that out into <laughs> <Obviously>, the world. It was the fifth best day of my life. <laughs> Are you finding a winner at this Flemington Carnival? I've been lucky to get out late uh, a couple of times. I, I struggled early on Cup Day, to be honest. And I was, you know, when you get that sick stomach and you're feeling, you're thinking, I'm not sure which way to turn. And sometimes you zig when you should have zagged and vice versa. And I've got a thing around every now and again, a horse will just present itself to you. And I was in a state of sort of flux. And I'm thinking, I've got a few issues here. And then I looked up, and the first horse that I saw was called the Fixer. I thought, I do need a proper fix. And Brian Walsh, I used to call Gillen's Fixer. Whenever there was a proper problem, Brian Walsh would step in. Yep. And I, I looked around, and the first guy I saw was a bald guy that looked like Brian Walsh. I thought, that's enough. The thing was drawn 18. It was first up and won by about five lengths, paying $10. And suddenly you get your confidence back. You get a little bit of money back and you're off to the races and then Mark Zara helped out and late we even found winners in the West. They're running in three tracks in Western Australia on Cup Day. It was hard to stop, to be honest with you. When I was driving home, Pete Summers was scrawling. He lives around the corner from me. We're driving home. He goes, is it ridiculous to think we could find one at Wagga? I said, they're not running at Wagga. He goes, the harness is? Thought, oh, my God. <laughs> That's... Anyway. You're a long way in at that stage. A long you way are in. a long way in there. Yeah. All right. It was good fun. Talk to me about the Oaks. Well, I've got it down to two winners. And I think the obvious is Sardozzi, but I love the run of Athelflaed. So I'm putting Athelflaed and Sardozzi together to win with a slight leaning towards a longer-priced horse. And I do like the fact that she's been backed reasonably hard. I hope that Mark Zara has sobered up since Tuesday and can actually find his way around <laughs> the course, which I'm told isn't an absolute certainty. <laughs> so eight from two, two from eight. And then we're going to do the same second, third, and fourth. So the two gay horses get thrown in. They're one and three. Top Tropical Squall and Amazonian Lass who beat uh, Dozy on the weekend. So one, two, and three. Seven, which is Vaselina of uh, Ollie. A sort of emotional plus, I think, the Browns can train with Ethel Flade. And then a bit of value. And I'd be surprised if it doesn't run well, but Ethel Maud. So numbers are eight and two to win. From one, two, three, seven, eight, and ten. Okay, beautiful. That's that's locked in and going on because you have been such a good for, judge. I'm waiting for Tony Barber to walk through the door. And <laughs> well, you've got to risk it all year on year. So you've been so good to us the last three. Uh, enjoy you Oaks Day. Yep. I, I did love your text. I said I don't want to come on, and you said sometimes the end of the run is as much fun as the run itself. So it's like if it is the end. It's been excellent. It has. Good on you, Hamish. Thanks. Thanks, Gerardo. Hamish McLaughlin. So trifecta, that's what we aim for. And then he's thrown in the first four for us a couple of years, which has been just phenomenal. So two and eight, and then one, two, three, seven, eight, and ten for second, third, and fourth. Our carryover champion, Hamish McLaughlin. Melbourne's weather, cloud clearing at top of 22 for City Power, supplying power to homes in the CBD and inner suburbs. Now, back to Waitley. You know what's going to happen. He's 195, Maxwell. A six to bring up 200 and win the game. Everybody here is on their feet. 
Beautiful, Smithy. Beautiful. The Glenn Maxwell double century winning runs last night. Our McCafe coffee catch-up each Thursday, 30 Days, 30 Deals, is back at Macca's. Comes with a tinge of nostalgia, the idea of knowing your history, but a pure sense of love of sports. That's where Shannon Gill fits in. Hello to you, Shannon. G'day, Jared. How you I, doing? I did think of you yesterday, but at what point did you get to take it in? Well, I I was watching when when Maxwell came in, but falling asleep on the couch. So then I I woke up in the morning, very keen to see what had happened, and I had assumed that Australia had lost. Woke up in the morning and just saw some random sort of text messages that alluded to the fact that Australia had won. But um, I was I'm. And my home internet and my phone <laughs> happened to be with a telecommunications company that didn't have a good day yesterday. So it was a, it was a throwback. This was like, like pre-internet and pre-pay TV trying to follow sport from overseas is that I was hanging for trying to get some highlights on the news. And that's about it <laughs> for me in the morning until I actually had a day off yesterday. So I ended up driving across town to my parents' house. So, because they, because their internet was was up and running, they aren't with that telecommunications company, and watched it there. So I did drive across town to watch the Glenn Maxwell innings. And was it worth it? Ah, uh, well, as soon as I watched it the first time, what did I do? Watched it again. Watched it again. So <laughs> it was well and truly worth it. And everything you said yesterday morning that was giving me a, a bit of a picture in my head. Um, it was all that and more. And, and as I said to someone, um, this morning, actually, the, the stats alone do not convey anything about that innings, even though the stats alone are very, very impressive. Yep. Yep. So, and so we're both Maxwell people. Yeah. We sort of have the imagination and the patience for it. You have, you've had to be patient with Maxwell. You do. And prepare to ride the eye rolling to get the eye popping. That's part of it. So it's been a beautiful journey on that front. And it was like the the payoff and the payoff was immense. Yeah. And this might be, this feels like it's going to be the signature moment of his career that in 20 years time, when people talk about Glenn Maxwell, this will be the thing. But as, as you've talked about all morning, the, you can't help but think about what might've been and not, We've been having this same conversation for 10 years, really, haven't we? And I, I remember I, I wrote something and I had to think of when it was. And it was actually the 2015 World Cup. So this is eight years ago. Oh, right. Yeah. I wrote something about the fact that if Glenn Max was playing test cricket and he comes in at four for 40 on a seeming deck, as opposed to the other number six that comes in at four for 40. Now, if Glenn Maxwell plays a reverse sweep and goes out, we all say... What the hell is he doing? Should never play again. If the conventional number six comes out and sort of limply pushes forward and gets a nick, we say, well, that's good bowling. The same, it's the same result. It's we've got to, we have got to change the way we interpret what happens on a cricket field. If he plays that reverse sweep and it goes for four, hey, that could change the, the, the tide of a game. But eight years on, we're still having the same conversation. So he's the ultimate baseball cricketer ahead of time and in a regime that, that would never have contemplated it. Well, I, I, I think we might've talked about this during the ashes. We said, would Glenn Maxwell play cricket for England under the baseball regime? And it's, de- it's definite. I mean, look, the fantasy is that 
maybe somehow this just pushes things over the edge and he is given a couple of tests somewhere in the, in the next couple of years. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, and, but maybe there's a, you know, there's a bigger picture thing here. Does Glenn Maxwell, the fact that Glenn Maxwell didn't play much test cricket, does that actually make him a larger figure than than what he might have been if he had played more test cricket? So it makes him such an intriguing figure mm. to try to fit anywhere. Like, so how, where will he ever fit? Well, that, that's the thing. I, I'm thinking of what Australian cricketer has played as little test cricket as Glenn Maxwell, but has had a bigger impact on fans and the way the game is played. I'm, I've got Michael Bevan in that conversation as in that, you know, and he, but he was a guy that was given a lot of test chances and it, it just didn't work out for him. But one day cricket was a, was a maestro. Simon O'Donnell played a lot of good one day cricket, but over a very short period of time compared to Glenn Maxwell, this guy's impact on cricket and the way cricket will be played uh, in the future by generations, he's going to have that effect that not many others will have. And he's barely played a test match. Yeah. What other innings came to mind when you were trying to play? So I think one of the best parts of sport, I don't, I don't know why people worry, people go, oh, we shouldn't compare. Of course you should. All of sport is Always. a comparison and finding an order. That's the whole point of playing sport. And I love the, so the real time, how it made you feel, and then trying to instantly place it with other stuff that you've seen or that you know of. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think initially when when you start to think and say this could be the best, you have to you have to think what was my, what was the last thing that I thought was the best. And I, for me, I probably go with Ricky Ponting's one forty in the two thousand and three World Cup. Oh, that yeah, that was one. to me in the final in the yeah in the yeah. World Cup final. That that was. Mm as good as batting could be. But I, I, I think there's about seven in the conversation and I think they all relate to matches that are, were either part of world cups, which were really important or matches that were played in the old world series cup, which had our attention. So I've got, um, the Michael Bevan four off the, the final ball on New Year's day in Sydney against the West Indies in 96. I've got, uh, back to that Ricky Ponting world cup, Andrew Simons made 143 in that World Cup in the first match, which was a, you know, a, a, an ordinary situation and a guy whose career had was sputtering at best. Um, that made his career. Adam Gilchrist's 2007 World Cup. Remember when he put the squash ball in his glove and decided to hit the ball as much as he could, which he did most times anyway, yep. and, and made a huge score. And I've even got um, a bit of an old favourite. Uh, Dean Jones made 145 which off 136 balls, which sounds kind of almost lame in this, in this era at the Gabba um, against England uh, uh, in 1990, which was uh, at the time seemed like, well, what can, can batting get any better than this? Yep. And it was the highest one day score for Australia, all those sorts of things. Those, those are the sort of innings that I'm thinking of. Um, but criteria wise, I, you had a bit of a stab at it earlier. Yeah, so you? Brett, we got emails and we got texts and Brett's just sent this. Shannon, why don't you apply the best ever grand finals formula to the greatest ever cricket innings? This, so this is, you're yep. right with us. This is our beat. That, so th there's certain, and there's certain elements that, that, are, that work as well. 
So historical importance matters. Yeah. So, so let's so, workshop a list, shall yeah. we? So size matters. So the yep. raw score, score matters. has yep. to be big. Mm. How many did Bevan make in that West so Indies game? Bevan only made 78. See, this, so the, the raw number has yeah. to be one of the categories. Yeah. So I think that's obviously that obviously gets marked down, and this is where Maxwell's is is so high. Even in and but all, for a lot of these sort of innings at the time, they were the biggest. Yep. So so yeah. So I think yeah, raw numbers is is a definite thing. Re- records broken clearly. Yes. Yes. And did you see? It was I think it was Ben Horn's list. The number of records that are broken in this innings it's, is preposterous. Yeah. Um, and then, it, so there has to be the subjective style points. Style, and style points is, is, it doesn't matter. And a Glenn Maxwell innings of 12 is probably still going to get 10 on style <laughs> points, isn't it? Like that's, that's a given. He's playing shots that no one else can play. He's playing shots that he invented on the run. Yep. Um, which these other guys did that to a degree, but never to the same degree that Maxwell has done it. So circumstances of the match. So this is where Bevan yeah. would, he would be a 10, be a 10. Yeah. and so would Maxwell. Yeah. Um, just be a lost cause. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, where, where, yeah, where they were in a match and, and, and what the, what the innings did for the match, you know, what sort of solo turn it was really. And, and then I think you've got, you know, uh, the stakes, the stakes of the game. So, you know, a World Cup final, yes, the stakes are higher. Than... So Ricky Ponting's is a 10. Yeah. He wins the World Cup he with that innings. He wins the World Cup. Adam Gilchrist's in the World Cup, similar sort of story. So Maxwell's probably an eight. It's the game to yeah. make sure you qualify for yeah. a semi. It's, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a, a game that doesn't matter, is it? It's so, so yeah, he's, he's scoring pretty well here. And then I think that we can use the same, the same one, historical importance. Or... Or a different, a slightly different one, rewatchability. Oh, rewatchability, that's it. So rewatchability is: can you just watch this, the, the highlights of this innings over and over yeah. and over? Now, most of these ones that I've looked at, yeah, you can. Yep. So they, they all score pretty well, but I don't know, I don't know if any would score higher than what Maxwell's yep. has. And then there has to, I think, there should be a. Drama or theatrics, yes. or so the fact that he's cramping and flopping on the ground, as opposed to just clinically not. So Ricky Ponting just clinically not. Yeah. I'll never forget that innings. I was covering it. I had to do the overnight package for mm. ten the next day, and you go, well, how many of these shots are we going to be able to put in? It's the most glorious innings. There was no. It was dead clinical. No yeah. drama to it. Yeah. Hiss went. Oh, I'm just winning this World Cup. Yeah, and that and that was. And Bevan maxes out for drama because it's yeah. the last ball. Yeah, and it's New Year's night and the whole country's watching. Yeah, and 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 those things, those things, those things really matter. Yeah, <laughs> people will tell you it doesn't matter. No, it does matter. It does matter how we watch it. So yes, New Year's Day. That, that is, that's, you've got a nation watching. Yeah. So it, th- so in some ways, the fact that we weren't all watching it at, at 3am is, it, that might get marked down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but it's covered by the fact that he's got full body cramps <laughs> and he's doing the Dean Jones. And it's, and it's, well, and I, I was even thinking, I mean, the, the, I've, I've got a Dean Jones innings in here, but then you think about the Dean Jones Madras innings and bear in mind, I think, different circumstances and maybe maybe Max was in better physical condition than Dino was yes. back then but there's 
Maxwell's innings is almost, I've looked at it and thought, it's actually little bits of all of the best. He's paying a homage. He's remixing the best <laughs> yeah, yeah. and putting them all into his own little thing, yeah. which is kind of the Maxwell, the Maxwell, um, you know, career yeah. in a lot of ways. And I love the fact that like he could have been out four times before he's 40. Yeah. And that, that will enhance the whole yep. thing as a- it goes along. A- and that's a Maxwell innings because yeah. you can yeah. be out in ways yeah. that frustrate all right. So that, at some stage in, in rainy days, that's yes. going to be a, that, that's, it's a great idea. And those who have emailed through and text that we're thinking the same thing and Maxwell's going to score high. And I reckon as the years go on, it'll be even higher because well, opposition you'd right now, he would get marked down. But yeah. I think in four years time, once Afghanistan are fully fledged with most of this team, we won't be marking them Absolutely. down. Absolutely. And if you watch that in real time, they were, they, were, they were bowling as well as anyone in this World Cup. Yeah. All right. Our real stuff was World Cup semifinals and we will get there. Here's Nathan in the newsroom. Nathan, thank you. Can you just give us the raw numbers yeah. on the Bevan innings? Because I think, um, yeah, just give us the raw numbers. Yeah, so Australia were chasing 173. It was a rain-shortened game, so I think it was a 43-over game, and had slumped to be 6 for 38 at one stage. Yep. Then then it was 7 for 74. So there was a little bit of a recovery, and then him and Paul Rifle actually were the ones that, that made the bulk of the runs towards towards the end. Yeah. So style points, he's not getting 78 from 88 with six boundaries. No. He's not getting any style points. It's just he gets the climax points. Yes. And um, uh, correspondent points out, Bevan wasn't even the man of the match in that game. No, Paul Rifle got it with 34 was. and four for 29. Yes, yes. That's, which is kind of, given that that vision is just lives on yeah. in memory and everyone remembers it, uh, it's, it's kind of weird that he he wasn't even best so on only, your rewatchability is you only want to see the last ball because the second last ball, second last ball, he he tries to do the same thing and but it, it just goes back to Roger Harper bowling and uh, it's a dot and it goes from thinking well okay if we get two here we only need two off the last ball that's what put them in put them in the situation of needing a boundary from the final ball. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, we've gone down a rabbit hole there. It's World Cup semi-finals because that's the phase we'll be in. We'll we'll have finished them by the time we sit together. Mm. next Thursday. So we'll recount some of that with Shannon Gill. Know your history next. This is Waitley for the all-new Hyundai Kona, imagined to be bold. Morris Finance, skip the life admin with Morris Personal and Host Plus. Now, back to Waitley. Bit of know your history as we reach the finals stages of the World Cup. So the last of the pool games on the weekend, Tuesday, Wednesday night. And the final the following Sunday. So Shannon Gill, World Cup semis are footies prelims? Footies prelims, yes. I see them as footies prelims. In a cricket sense, it's the most footy prelim kind of thing. Who's dominated semifinals? So played it, who's played in the most semifinals? Australia eight, New Zealand eight. Wow. As well, which just shows you know, how competitive New Zealand have been over the years. This is not just a recent thing that they've... They've managed to, to lift themselves in tournaments. They do it every year, in uh, every time. India, seven. Then we go down to Pakistan, England on six, and it sort of falls away from there. Most curious team to qualify so far? Kenya. Kenya. 2003, which is a sad story, Kenya, because their cricket has just dropped off the radar completely. But they that in that um, tournament, they, they had a few decent wins over some lower sides, but they were also um, – they benefited from – New Zealand forfeited a game that was going to be played in Kenya because of security reasons. Right. So they got an extra win there and 
there was a few other upsets along the way, which then opens the door and they made the semifinals and oh. played India in the semifinal. Um, and then the curiosity of the semifinal. So when Jonty Rhodes was part of our, uh, broadcast team in the last summer, we went to the SCG and the story that most readily comes to mind is a world cup semifinal. Oh, there is this iconic photo where the SCG scoreboard says South Africa need 22 runs off one ball. The story behind it is that they actually needed, uh, 22 off 13 balls with, so, you know, a tough task, but gettable, probably tougher back then than it is now. And then it rained and the rain rule, which was only a new rain rule at the time, which sounds ridiculous now, this is pre the, the Duckworth Lewis method was that they simply, they simply got rid of the least productive overs of the team batting first. Two so, maidens. So two maidens. And then they came back on and needed 22 runs off one ball, which, you know, they did feel quite cheated out of it all. all. Rightly. And that was their, that was their comeback to international cricket, basically. Um, so they were sort of the sentimental favorites in a lot of ways and they'd had a great run and who knows if they had have got through, but that, that is one of those memories. And unfortunately for South Africa, it's not the only, it's not the only semi-final disaster. No, they have history at this time, which is why. Uh, to trust them is a, mm. it's a leap of faith. And it's something that the team will have to overcome because it has repeated on them through the years. Yeah. All right. Best semifinals at a world cup. Best semifinals. I've got three, um, in number three spot. This is not, might not be remembered 1992, which was the world cup that was in Australia when Pakistan won the world cup against England in the final, but in the semifinal, New Zealand had been were the raging hot favorites at that point. They'd gone through the tournament beating everyone and they hosted a home semifinal against Pakistan of which they looked home and hose most of the time. And then a, a baby Inzamam al-Haq comes in and scores. And I, I haven't got the stats in front of me, but it was something to the extent of 60 off 35 or something like that, 37. And they, Pakistan win really e easily in the finish um, and sort of steal that semifinal and then go on to win the final. Um, you know, at the MCG a few days later. All right. So that's so baby Inzi. Baby Inzi. Number two, 1996, the Mohali miracle, not the Mohali um, homework saga, <laughs> which was the Mohali disaster later on. West Indies in Australia. This is a semifinal that's a little bit forgotten because Australia lost the final. Yep. West Indies cruising, low total, uh, cruising to victory, need about 50, 50 runs. And I've only lost two wickets, then a couple of wickets fall, then a couple of wickets fall. And they, Western is completely panicked. Warren takes two or three. I think he ends up with four for the match. Uh, McGrath does his thing. SEN zone, Damien Fleming comes on to bowl the last over and gets the, the, the last wicket, bowls Courtney Walsh. And the Western is just completely fallen a heap from, from having a, a game in there, safekeeping and, Richie Richardson still batting at the other end on sort of 50 not out and doesn't even get to face a ball in the, in the final part of it. So that is a great semi-final that was completely out of the blue. One of Warren's finest moments that's not spoken about as much, but because Australia lose the, the, yeah. the, uh, the final, um, later on. And we will all know what the standout semi-final is. And it doesn't, it's not even parochial. We, we don't need to say it. It, it has been, it's been called the greatest ODI of, of ever. Now 
since then, I think there's been a few, the, the 2019 file has been put into the conversation, but the semi-final in 1999, Australia, South Africa, the famous finish, which was actually a tie. We sometimes forget that yeah. it was a tie <laughs> and that Australia got through because of other factors like net run rate, et cetera. But because of it was a, it was a tie and got through the famous last moments when Lance Klusner hits the ball to, to, um, down the ground and there's the underarm and Damien Fleming went 10 pin bowling the days before and decided to underarm the ball and roll the ball along the ground to Adam Gilchrist. We've heard that story before yes. and we will hear it again, but that is a game that was again, looked completely out of reach of Australia and it was, it was turned on its head by a, a spell from Shane Warne. So for all, for all the test match greatness of Shane Warne, we saw a lot of it in one day cricket too. And that was a, a game where, um, you know, Herschel Gibbs had come out firing, Gary Kirsten was batting well, and then Warren turned the game and, and by, you know, almost his force of personality turned the game. There's a, uh, talked to a few people about this for a, a podcast episode we did that was purely based on this game uh, some years ago. And all the players talked about the fact that after the, you know, Warren takes an initial wicket and they get in a huddle and Warren was carrying on like it was a footy match. That yeah. was, that was the sort of, that he was, he was trying, it was like he was in the, in the change rooms before a grand final of football, that he was sort of boisterous and talking and yelling and screaming like that. And that was one of those things that, that not saying that lifted them, but it, it certainly changed the, the whole feeling around the game. Yeah. South Africa's chase of 213. They were four for 145. Warren takes four for 29. And it's not the last ball. Is This is Alan Donald mm. just loses his bearings. And there's still two more balls for Klusner to get it done. And Alan Donald's hearing off. Oh, mate, that if, if pressure, that's preliminary final pressure. Preliminary <laughs> final integrity, <laughs> integrity. Alan Donald had none well, with a bat. The semi-final integrity. You might <laughs> need to get Kingy on for this. All right. So the, the three great semi-finals, 92, Inzamam Al-Haq, 96, Australia's Miracle at Mahali, and 99, the tie between South Africa and Australia. Enjoy these semi-finals, Shannon. I'll Will see do. you next Thursday. Catch you then. Shannon Gill, know your history. Our McCafe Coffee Chats, barista-made ice-cold drive through for your iced coffee favourites at McCafe. Now, back to Waitley. Couple of messages to finish for Meg Lanning, so where we started. Fortunately, work from home today as I am watching Meg's press conference. Bloody emotional, but I'm so thankful that Meg made me appreciate the quality of women's crickets. We have so much to thank her for. I will miss Meg playing with the Aussie team. I can only wish her the very best. That's from Roscoe. And Gavin from Albury, listening to Meg, all I can say is thank you, Meg. Her emotion is equal to the joy she brought us as cricket fans, but more importantly, her impact on not just women's cricket, but the wider game is even greater. Thank you, Meg. I think you could make a compelling case that Meg Lanning is the greatest figure in Australian women's cricket for what she achieved as captain, for what she achieved at with the bats and for what she achieved in the era where the game moved in to the professional era and all that came with that. So Meg Lanning retires from international cricket. It's Oaks Day. We're bound for Flemington, the SEN track team, to take us through the, the fun, frivolity and the punt of the afternoon. Enjoy. I'll be back with you Flemington Saturday. Saturday.